Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the 9 to 5? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again. We're excited to have everyone listening, as we always are. And as always, with me again is Mr. Sandy McKay. How are you? Hey, Rob. Doing amazing. Doing amazing. Good. How Why are you? you doing so amazing? When someone says amazing, we got to dig in. We got to find uh, out what's the motivation behind this excitement that hmm. we're seeing from you right now. Like I don't know, it kind of just came out. Um, well, it's uh, <laughs> early morning. I got a nice run in this morning. I'm actually going to uh, in the next few days. I'm headed down to um, to Barbados. I'm doing a only for like two days. I'm doing a half marathon there and going to actually look at a few real estate things. Um, Probably not to take action on right away, but just to kind of learn a bit about uh, that market. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm going there in two days, so uh, maybe that's why. Uh, I <laughs> see the sun in your background, and I can I can feel some of that coming my way soon. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, when you were running, were you outside? Yeah, outside. Okay, I run cool. in in uh, in Canada here, and we're in near Hamilton areas. I, I run through. I'll go to about minus seventeen. Um, okay. And I can run, and if it gets below that, that's my that's my breaking point. Yeah, but, but you can do it. You layer up properly; it's it's doable. Through the snow and everything. You, yeah, you just... usually. I mean, it depends. I'm not going to run if it's a blizzard. If it's uh, and I'm not going to run 20k if it's like questionable conditions. But you can do a quick 5k or something like that. Right. You have to let us know how the marathon goes then. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. I've uh, I'm I'm uh, not too worried about it. I've done a few. Ha- it's a half marathon. I've done lots. I've done a, a bunch of halves now, but um, this is the first one that's going to be hot. Like I'm usually used to like five, ten degrees, twelve degrees uh, yes. Celsius. It's going to be like <clears throat> 25, 20, 25. So hopefully, it's all, it's all along the ocean. It looks very cool. It's cool definitely scenery. different when you sweat before you start running. Yeah, you know that's yeah. You know. But it's I, also at like 6 a.m., so maybe it won't be so hot. I'm not won't really be sure. Too too bad at the start, anyways. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I sweat on my way to the gym here. You know, I walk <laughs> to the gym and I'm soaked. So I'm going down there with uh, with I think you were just on his show. I just saw it come out with the Caribbean Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, yeah, I just saw you were a guest on on his show. Dan and I are he's meeting me there. We're gonna run that and and scope out some real estate. Scoping out real estate all worldwide. Yeah. I still got to come your way because I haven't done that yet. And uh, I know you maybe want to share about your uh, experience there with the group. You, you had, a, what, 15 people it looked like or so down there uh, two weeks ago? There was week? 21 people. They came down a couple weeks ago. And, yeah, the, the, that was our first event that we've done. It was, uh, it was a, a heck of a lot of fun. And um, 
you know, it's funny because I think that the bulk of the people that came down were more or less just like looking for a vacation. But again, like I recommend that people come down, you know, get a feel for the area. It's not like um, most people want to do like quite a bit of research before they jump into buying anything. But um, we definitely had a, uh, a really good group out here. And I'm going to do it again. I think there was too many people. Uh, probably going to stick to maybe 12 to 15 people instead of 21 to get them where we had to go and get them through all of the properties. It was a little bit difficult. We managed, but, um, but uh, did manage to get my uh, new development project off the ground with that group. So that was really awesome. We've, cool. We're going to be building six more houses in play avianas so that is awesome um and then we're just going to keep going so if anyone wants to know about the things that we're doing down here then yeah just give me a shout rob at mrbreakthrough.ca cool it's awesome congrats that was good it, so did you say you want a trip here though <laughs> yeah i have a i have a trip pending to tamarindo that i'm supposed to use um I didn't win it. I paid for it in a charity thing, but oh, okay. um, but I got to get it. I should spend it at some point. I got like a yeah. five night stay or something. Uh, so Tamarindo, not too far from you. Well, um, if you can't do it, we'll, so. we'll raffle it off or oh, I can do that too, I <laughs> give it away or yeah. something. True. All right. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Uh, yeah. Like look at me giving away your stuff. Hey. I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. We got a nine year, uh, nine year, uh, not reunion, nine year, uh, something coming up in the anniversary. Maybe anniversary. Maybe yeah. there's something there. Yeah. 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 Uh, nine years. Yeah. We've been doing the show for nine years. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. In, Almost. in another month. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway. All right. Anything else? What, what anything else you want to talk about before we get into it? Well, we got to catch our, our, our typical housekeeping things that we, that we glanced right over this time. Um, want to recommend everyone to, of course, jump on over to our website, breakthroughrapodcast.ca, pick up our free gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealthy real estates. And um, they can go like and subscribe and do all that stuff. Where? Where are we pushing to? iTunes primarily. Yeah. Um, but, but also when you get on there, when you go to our website, you can see all of our past guests. You can connect with them because most of them have uh, all of their information right in the show notes. So you can, if, if you find a guest that was particularly interesting, you want to talk to them about whatever they, uh, you know, their, their specific field of knowledge was, you can get in contact with them there and also listen to all the episodes that we've done over the last nine years. Absolutely. Um, and iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Like Sandy said, it helps a lot and uh, helps us get really awesome guests, like the ones we're going to talk to today, and, um, and cover topics that... Um, you know, maybe you want to hear about that we haven't covered before. Just let us know. Mm-hmm. And it's the best and time of year. Whenever this is coming out, it's around holiday season, I think. So um, it's a great time to go uh-huh. binge. It's a great time to go binge on a bunch of episodes in the past and, and, and reach out to our Yeah, guests. that's right. You got time off. You're, yeah. you're sitting around, you know. Yeah, go back, binge, listen, and, and, and learn some of those golden nuggets that people like to offer. All right, so well, let's get into it. Got some some great guests here. Um, I, I'm gonna try and do the names properly. Martin May and Lynn Syrie. Yeah, Syrie? Good, good job. Pretty good, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. So uh, they're joining us from beautiful Las Vegas. They're up early uh, there to uh, to join us, and uh, of course, they have some Canadian real estate ties in as well. And Martin and Lynn, they they left their lives behind in Montreal to invest in New Brunswick full time in March 2021. After witnessing the significant cash flow potential there, I uh, can't argue that. And with an in- integrated marketing strategy to source leads, in just over a year, they've done over 50 off-market property acquisitions, focusing on uh, a variety of strategies, wholesaling, burrs, and joint ventures. Uh, now expanded to a team of 16 and have become uh, and have become one of the top producers of, of off-market opportunities on the East Coast. They're working on building a seven-figure wholesale business, they're also working on leveling up their 35-plus door portfolio to commercial assets specifically, and we're going to touch on this one quite a bit, I think, in the show, is self-storage and assisted living facilities um, and international now in the U.S. So um, 
awesome stuff there. Lots to learn. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. This is very exciting. So yeah. we're very happy to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, welcome, guys. And and let, let me just touch on the fact that it's a relatively short amount of time to have a, a whole lot of things going on. So let's um, – and, and at a time, I think, where a lot of people, you know, especially if they were investing before, have taken the current market conditions to step back maybe a little bit, right, where you guys, you know, you're entering – at that same time. So it's going to be very interesting to hear your perspective on how on on things. Um, as usual, though, let's get started with how you got interested and involved in real estate investing. We, we both have very specific stories for that. Um, I grew up with my father being a flipper. He did it kind of the small residential traditional way where he would move into a house probably duplex or threeplex, renovate it and then sell it. So we kept constantly moving from house to house. Um, and the big part of it was that we were just fully living on construction sites. We were fully living in renovation sites all the time. So I've came to learn a lot of different skills, like changing sink, how to like do a little bit of electricals, how to do a little bit of flooring. And, and it was always just fun because my dad was doing it. Um, but I never really saw the financial benefits of it until I grew up and realized there's actually a lot of profit to be made there. Uh, so that was my first introduction to real estate. He's always told me also, you never really want to work for anybody else because that's not how you're going to make money. If you really want to make real money, you got to work for yourself. So when we met with Martin and we just decided to kind of put both of them together and, and we got we got started with our real estate journey that way. And on my end, um, you know, just like Lynn, I came from an immigrant family. Um, so my family and I, we immigrated when I was uh, when I was a kid to Canada. So, um, you know, after getting my university degree, after, you know, working full time for a couple of years, we're just discussing, you know, um, essentially it's almost like an immigrant dream to own real estate in Canada. So that's really where it came from. And instead of buying a brand new condo, which is what we're looking at at the time, uh, we're talking to a friend from work and he recommended me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Just like most investors, that's kind of how people fall into a rabbit hole. Um, so instead of buying that, you know, brand new condo in Montreal, I ended up buying this really beat down uh, duplex uh, just outside of uh, the Montreal core in the area called Soup West. And um, what I essentially had to do, because I didn't know what I was doing at all, um, I had to rent out room per room. And I further converted the two living rooms into additional bedrooms just so I can live in there for free. My mom can live in there for free. And we can rent out all the other bedrooms and that will still cover our all of our expenses plus that service. So I feel like that was probably the most powerful lesson that that got me started. Uh, just the importance of leverage, the importance of owning a piece of real estate, you know, uh, to to offset your living expenses and to build wealth that way. And another huge factor, too, that's actually how uh, Martin and Lynn, that's how we met. Um, <laughs> she was invited to a party in our backyard by one of my tenants that I, that I was house hacking with. And that's how we met. We, we met, met in the backyard. House, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that house was just project zero. You know, we made all of our mistakes there. We renovated things we should have never renovated. We did not renovate what we were supposed to renovate. And we just made all those mistakes. It worked out, but everything was done on that property. So it was, it was like project zero for us. <laughs> that's cool. That's yeah. a great story. It is. And it helps when, um, you know, I think in a situation like that, when you've set yourself up right to, uh, you know, to make that income from it, you can afford to make a few mistakes along the way. And, uh, and you know, it's the same as if you're living in your own house, you want to fix it up, you want to do things with it. But in this case, you've, you've covered, you know, potential mistakes and, and even the cost of the renovations in most cases. So you were in. Go ahead, Sandy. I was gonna. I was gonna uh, try and help our audience understand how you went and decided to go from. So you're in Montreal, right? You're living there, and you're doing a few, a few real estate investment sort of things, maybe a little bit, not not intentionally or not not very purposefully. And then you kind of you wake up one day and said, "Look at what the heck's going on out east coast. We got to be out there." Or how did that become (laughs) so place of focus? When Martin and I met, I was already set on moving to the East Coast, going to Moncton, New Brunswick. Um, COVID kind of hit me pretty hard and I just wanted a complete change of scenery. I'm like, I want to go somewhere as far as possible where it makes sense. I was pursuing a degree in criminology in French. 
So there's not a lot of French universities that offer a criminology degree. There's one outside of Quebec, and that's New Brunswick, University of Moncton. So that the, that's the place that I chose to go to. Um, and when Martin came to visit, we kind of saw the um, the market there. We were I was looking for a rental. We realized the rental rates are very similar to what we would have um, in Montreal, but the purchase price for these properties are, is just a fraction of what you would spend if you were to buy the same assets in Montreal. And I think that's when we were like, if we just buy a duplex, we can live in one full unit instead of renting a room per room, rent the other one and have all of our expenses paid for plus profit just by the small little duplex. It, it, yeah. it really gave us a, a unique perspective because we're, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, we're trying to rent a place in Moncton. So we saw just exactly how in demand it was. We saw how impossible it was to find a decent unit for affordable price. Um, and to me, you know, renting a two bedroom in, um, in Moncton was the equivalent price of renting one of my units in Montreal. So to me, I was like, the math gear doesn't add up. Uh, what are we doing? You know, sitting on the duplex in Montreal, let's, you know, and I obviously I didn't let her rent anything. I was like, Lynn, this makes not. no sense. <laughs> I was like, I can literally, you know, I can take out a HELOC on my Montreal duplex and we can buy a place together in New Brunswick. And we weren't even, you know, seriously considering, you know, living full time in New Brunswick, even though it's just only for her studies. Uh, but as soon as we saw the opportunity, as soon as we started making a few offers, we realized, okay, there's really something here. Um, there was just so much competition when it comes to purchasing, but there was also lots of demand for rental units. And we got curious, so like, where is that all coming from? And there's a lot, we realized there's a lot of economical drivers, there's major schools there. So a lot of people from outside the city are also relocating into the city. Um, and I think immigration laws are a lot, um, to, sorry, to get your primary residence, it's a lot easier when you immigrate directly to the East Coast. There's programs that help you with that than if you're just going to Montreal or Toronto. So there was a lot of immigration going there. There was a lot of different communities um, from different countries moving to, to Moncton. So that was driving the increase by a lot. The other major factor is there's a lot of big companies are relocating into Moncton on the east side because there's they have cheaper land. They can build for a lot cheaper uh, and the um, minimum wage is a lot lower than what you would find in Montreal and Toronto. So that was another big factor for them to move there. So there's a lot of economical drivers, a lot of reasons why people are moving there. And we didn't know that until we actually made the move. And I was just looking for a rental. Yeah. yeah. So that first property you bought there was how much was it? So we bought a fourplex uh, in St. John, New Brunswick for 275000 Wow. And, and that's, the year, that's in 2021, is that? Or what, what year would that be? That was exactly February 20, 2021. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing with that property was when we bought it, the property manager that was working on, uh, on the property basically told us we're dumbasses for buying at that price. He <laughs> <laughs> was saying that that property is worth 120 at best. <laughs> And now, right now, it's actually sitting on the market. We're expecting to sell it for four fifty to five hundred. It's oh, yeah, man. full circle. I feel like yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, wow. But we had actually a hard time finding anything to purchase when we were looking. It was so competitive. People were buying properties for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars over asking, um, and that's also what pushed us to kind of start looking off market and maybe get into wholesaling more because we did not want to be competing and paying top dollar for every single property we we're purchasing. We wanted to have more control over negotiations. We wanted to be able to purchase properties at a reasonable price that makes sense for us. So that's that's what got us into it. And we were um, we were honestly just getting so frustrated, <laughs> as yeah. Lynn said, like everywhere we looked. We were getting all bit worse. It saying. was either already sold, we had already an offer and and a backup offer on it, or it was just no longer on the market because we had too many offers. It, it was just it was it was a nightmare. So that's what we got us into off market for sure. Okay, and then how did you guys start into that? Then what were the what were some of the action steps that you took? Yeah, that's a great question, Rob. So um, essentially, I was trying to get myself a lot of uh, real estate education. So. Um, after, you know, my full-time job, I still had a nine to five back in the days. And, um, right after that, I would even deliver for Uber Eats because I was just constantly in that mindset of, I need to do more. How can I do more? And while I was driving for Uber Eats, um, I was just binging these real estate podcasts. Um, just like, you know, the, the one like we're on today. Um, uh, but you know, specifically I was listening to, um, you know, how to get started in, in rental real estate. I was listening to bigger pockets. I was listening to, Austin Ye and Matthew's podcast. I was listening to, you know, Sarah Larby, all of the good stuff. Um, and that's where I kind of came across the idea of you can find distressed sellers and you can, you know, that's how you can have a better leverage to negotiate. And that's how you can use your resources to help them. 
Um, that's also where we learn about, you know, how to leverage private lenders. You don't even need to, um, you know, just purely rely on your nine to five to, to qualify for that job. So um, I would say most of my, my early stage education really came from just binging these podcasts um, and, you know, watching these YouTube videos, YouTube University, right? So. so part, sorry, go for it. I was going to say, okay, so you, you start doing some marketing for off-market uh, properties and then you start getting calls, right? And you get a lot of calls that uh, like, how did you weed through them? What was the first one that you found that, you know, was got, got your wheels spinning and what were the negotiations like? Walk us through all of that. You know, I think what's super cool, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think COVID by just not being able to go out, not being able to hang out with any friends, it really helped us. We were hyper-focused. We had nothing else to do. And I think the other thing we did is we decided, okay, this is what we need to do. So we moved into the East Coast. And it, at that time, the East Coast was on lockdown. So you weren't able to get inside that uh, bubble unless you have a specific reason. You're relocating there. You bought a property there. You're visiting close family like your husband or your kids. Um, and that was the only reason. So we were able to cross that because we bought that property and we were fully relocating there. And we had two weeks of quarantine to do. And during that time, that's when we did all of our marketing. So we started with very little funds. We didn't, we didn't necessarily have enough money to start sending mailers, to, to get people to contact us. So we did every possible free marketing we could. We put it on Facebook. We put in like a, like a marketplace ad. We started commenting on people's posts. We looked on GG and different sites to see if anybody was looking to sell their house privately. Um, and the first deal we got was a, um, the first person we talked to was a semi-detached and we completely screwed it up. I don't know. I, mean, I think we recorded it. We might show that someday. But it was it was pretty bad. It just it we didn't really build the report properly. We didn't say the right things. We kind of scared her off and sounded a lot a lot worse than we thought it would. But it was a learning experience for sure. And the deal that actually came to fruition, it was a side by side duplex, um, and we did get it. You know, we everything checked the boxes, um, and we found the seller's motivation. Um, I definitely wouldn't say we mastered that conversation. It was a lot of, uh, you know, mistakes that, that we learned as well. But um, the seller was super happy to be dealing with us. Uh, we were very dedicated to make it happen. The seller actually dry, uh, lives around two and a half hours from where we lived at a time in San John. So we were just driving that driving back and back forth, and forth. Uh, trying to really have that in-person connection. And that was after our quarantine as well. So while we're in the quarantine, we're just like dying to get out there and uh, to make yeah. things happen. <clears throat> And was that a wholesale? Did that one end up being a wholesale or did you just buy it privately for yourselves? So we have very little funds to allocate to buying anything because we've, we've already got a HELOC on the house, bought a second property there. So we weren't necessarily in a position where we could buy anything. So wholesaling was a great solution for us. That was the first wholesale. And that was kind of the proof of concept for us. After that, we were like, okay, we can actually do this. Yeah. We just got to you know, do more of these and, 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 and get involved that way. That's and we, so where I did you guys, we, yeah, where did you guys find the buyers? It's a great question as well. So it was again like how we started. It was um, a lot of it is like very guerrilla. Um, I feel like so you know the way we even did our marketing. You know, just every single free resource resource possible. Um, and as soon as we got out of the quarantine, we were driving up and down the street <laughs> and we're doing driving for dollars, door knocking. Um, and yeah. because there's, you know, it's the East Coast, like there's, um, if you look it up online, there's really not a whole lot of the wholesalers or a whole lot of off-market action that's going on there other than, you know, the local flippers. Everything tends to stay quite local. And I will say we were um, likely the first, one of the first few that, that actually, you know, kind of brought New Brunswick onto the national stage where like, we, we build a website called New Brunswick Property Deals. We also build a website called MonkTonHouseBuyer.ca. And we're able to build that very quickly because we use a, a platform such as Carrot. Um, and that's how, you know, we're able to just, you know, get the website up and running within the matter of days. Um, so, um, and, and how we found our buyers uh, was I just started talking about what we did on Facebook, um, you know, on all these uh, social media groups um, and even on our personal profiles as well. So people started resonating with that. And obviously I had to steal emails at a time, you know, I was copy and pasting emails of other <laughs> people's skills groups, on yeah. Facebook groups. Um, and another huge thing that, that really got us started as well, sending a rob, was we felt like, you know, when we're in the position of purchasing, however, we're based in Montreal and we're trying to buy in New Brunswick. 
we felt like there's absolutely no information online for us to really find out more about the markets. Everyone was talking about real estate. Matt McKeever was, Matt McKeever's channel was huge at the time. And everyone was, you know, but he wasn't necessarily touching on new browser. Nobody was. And we felt like there's a void um, in that, uh, you know, YouTube world uh, about, you know, real estate investors talking about, you know, uh, the specific benefits or the specific disadvantages of investing in browser. And that's what the information that we needed to be an educated investor. So as soon as we moved there, we started having conversations with these local suppliers, you know, property managers, contractors. And we were just like dying to ask them, hey, how does this work? <laughs> like, and we're like, would you mind if we record this conversation? Because we'd love to show other investors about how this works. We would love to uh, present you as an industry professional or a local power team candidate to other investors. And that's what we ended up doing. We ended up, you know, having this YouTube channel. Um, so think about, you know, the type of people that will go on YouTube and type mountain real estate <laughs> duplex conversion. It's not a whole lot of people that would do that just for no reason. Um, so we ended up attracting very, right. very specific and qualified buyers right. with interest in the uh -huh. Yeah, that was a good one for sure. I like that. That's good. Um, lots of lots of action in there. That's why that's why I love you. Got, you you collectively um, were not taking like little small pieces of action here. Or there, you just went all in, just, crazy yeah. massive action, right? Which is what it what it takes to put up some of the numbers, like you like um, like we see here, like uh, like fifty off market deals. That's in the last that's less than two years, I guess, at this point, right? Um, yeah. So you have to you have to be doing all sorts of that stuff. And social media and YouTube and all these different places have made it. You know that would have been a lot. It would have been different types of action 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Rob, you and I started wholesaling too. And I mean, social media was there, but it wasn't anywhere near what it is today. I, like, yeah, I didn't use social media whatsoever. No, none of that. We had, we, remember <laughs> all the stuff we were doing. Good old signs was... in the ground. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the letters. Yeah. Um, no, but that's why I like this, right? Because I think that there's a lot of people that are starting or that want to get into real estate investing too, right? And they and and this is like for the for for someone with very little resources, this is something that you can actually do and you can make it work. And this is a way to get in, right? This is really the key to everything if you're starting with nothing. So I think that this is a really um, important episode for you know people to be able to hear i think for us it was also probably the best way to get into real estate because the lessons that you learn and the things that you you have to develop skills about <clears throat> sorry you have to develop certain skills that will help you regardless of what venture you're getting in you're learning so much about marketing about how to get people to reach out to you about how to put your brand out there you're also learning how to analyze deals at such a fast pace because you get a lot of calls we used to put out like 10 to 20,000 pieces of marketing out, so those little uh, mailers, and we would get hundreds and hundreds of calls, and we need to understand, okay, how do you filter through all of these calls and go to the motivated seller, understanding people's motivations, how to negotiate deals, how to run your numbers quickly, how to put it together, um, a virus package, how to talk to investors too. So that was also a great way for us to start learning about how to you know, manage investor relationships, how to raise money, how to get to invent your partner as we ended up buying properties with them and later on. So there was so many parts of it and it felt like we were running two businesses at the same time, the acquisition side and the disposition side. And I think all of that was just tremendous and, and enormous amount of learning that's that's still helping us today in, in, in on the commercial side and in the other asset types that we're looking into. Hmm. Did you have any, either of you have a, any marketing background or anything in that side before doing this? Because I, it, you end up doing a lot of marketing, right? And there's lots, lots to learn to optimize what that looks like. Um, any, either of your backgrounds in that or no? I personally didn't. My background is in criminology. It has nothing to do with real estate whatsoever. Martin has a bit of a leg up for that. That was very helpful. Yeah, that's what I majored in at university. And that's, I was a marketer as a okay. professional. Yeah, so all of this, um, and you're totally right. It literally just felt like a marketing puzzle, right? Like, how do you mm -hmm. get yourself in front of the right sellers at the right time? And how do you package it uh, to present it as a great opportunity for, you know, a potential buyer or a joint venture partner? And I think Lynn and I were, um, I guess, more me. I was really geeky. I mean, I'm still, I'm very geeky. So I love, you know, implementing really, you know, just little gimmicks or little tools into my buyer's package. And we used to have, a, a, you know, our 360 camera. So what we used to do a Matterport for all of our deals. 
Um, and we include that as part of our virus package because I, I felt like as someone based remotely, they want to see the property in New Brunswick without actually having to you know, fly there or drive there. They want to see it remotely. So I felt like that was a very important thing to implement. And uh, you know, our virus package as well, we put a lot of, uh, lot of effort into making them just as information as possible, as information as possible uh, to give people that peace of mind. So are you finding people that people that are buying these off-market deals from either buying from you or, or even partnering with you? Uh, were they East Coasters or Moncton based or were they all over the place? They're mostly out of province, I want to say. Um, we've dealt with some people that were from the East Coast. Our first buyer, Angela, actually, shout out to Angela. Um, she she was from the East Coast. She grew up there and she was investing. She's actually living in Montreal, but she was also investing in the East Coast. So that was probably the only one I can think of that was East Coast based. Everybody else was mostly Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. Um, <clears throat> those are the areas, yeah. And the interesting about that as well, uh, Robin Zendi, is we realized very quickly um, that people who are investing from out of province into New Brunswick, they don't want to just pick up, you know, a tiny little deal like a single family or a semi-detached. They're not looking to flip it. That wouldn't be their strategy to do it remotely. And also the ARV just isn't really high enough for there to be enough profit margins if you're doing that remotely. So right off the bat, we were forced to only dive into the multifamily space. Um, so that's, you know, those were the only properties that were targeting. Um, and so instead of, you know, just sending out junk mail or sending out, you know, mailers, uh, you know, the neighborhood mail from Canada Post, we're forced to find out, okay, who the actual owner is. So that was also a huge um, leg up that we had is like we were able to find out you know, how to do that in New Brunswick. Um, so unlike, you know, our competition who are just sending out, you know, mailers from door to door, we actually go through the process. We hire, you know, Upwork freelancers. We hire virtual assistants to help us literally look up address by address, um, you know, for example, if you own the property, if you own this fourplex in, in Moncton, but you live in Thunder Bay, Ontario, we're going to send that letter to Thunder Bay, Ontario, address your name. Um, so, so that's also one thing that they really forced us to whip this in shape and get us prepared for, for targeting these commercial deals. There's a lot Very to cool. this. And then now um, you mentioned uh, some of the lessons that you've learned. So Let's dig into that just a little bit. And then, of course, we want to hear about your transition into the uh, self-storage space. I think for me, the big one is how to set up systems. Because I, I mean, coming from a background in criminology, you don't learn how to run a business. You don't learn how to, how to set up systems, how to, make, how to scale your business and how to make it profitable. So the big part was we were doing everything at first. And it was really impacting our you know, physical health, mental health, and our relationship as well, because we were doing the acquisition, the disposition, the marketing, picking up the phone calls. We were waking up to phone calls all the time, going to bed to phone calls. Um, so we had to find a way to to set up systems, to be able to scale this, to hire people, to help us with what we're doing and learning how to structure that. So to me, that was a big one, just, just learning how to create systems and how to scale a business. Um, there's a lot of mindset learnings that come with that too that we can... I'm not going to dive too deep into that, but for me, that was the, the, base, the big takeaway. What was it for you? Um, one thing that was huge for us, um, you know, I'll share with you like one, I guess, one win and also one huge L that we took. <laughs> but the, the huge win that, that we, we feel like that we did right was we have multiple different exit strategies, right? So if we come across a deal, there are multiple ways that we can make it happen. Um, you know, we can either drill venture on it, we can wholesale it. Um, and by doing that, we're able to, um, you know, force ourselves to create this deal flow, this consistent deal flow that pumps out off-market deals every single month. So we're starting to, you know, uh, get attention both, you know, from out of province, but also locally. Like the local realtors are starting to reach out to us. They want to partner out with us. They want to see how they can add value. There are obviously also the outliers of people who are just like, what who the hell are you? Like, who are, like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to be a realtor? Are you trying to broker these deals? Um, it's a it's a province where you know really nobody was doing wholesaling before. Mm -hmm. um, so by being the first couple ones to do it, um, you know we we had we felt a lot of friction. But I think just by having multiple exit strategies lined up, uh, that was super helpful for us to just go through deals and make sure we're able to capitalize on every single one of them that come into the pipeline. Um, but a huge L that I think you know I was you know we're both too uh, short sighted and we didn't really see the the bigger picture was. Uh, we were going after, you know, like we really liked the market because we felt like, you know, the cash flow was there and 
um, it was really a fast growing market. Um, however, um, I feel like it's a market where you have to do a lot of work. Like for example, if you do a flip there, um, chances are you're not making a whole lot of money and you do have to put in a lot of work. So we felt like we didn't realize, you know, with the number of doors that we had, if we did that in Ontario, if we did that in, you know, a more expensive market, our net worth mm -hmm. was drastically different. So essentially we're kind of chasing after, you're, we're taking a lot of action, but in the market where um, it takes a lot of effort to get to, you know, where people need to be, um, compared to if they were just to do that in the, in the more expensive market. Um, so I felt like that's why we realized, hey, like we want to give equity away to our partners. We want to pay our team well. We want to, you know, do this for the people that are helping us. But if we keep on doing that in New Brunswick, you know, to keep on doing that on a fourplex or on a sixplex in New Brunswick, your cash flow, you know, once you share it, um, it's, it's greatly reduced. And so it's, it's less attractive. So that's why we are just thinking, okay, how do we get bigger? We want to treat our team, team members well. We want to give them equity as much as possible. Uh, but, you know, if you give equity away, like you're left with nothing. So that's why we started looking at, okay, like self-storage deals. And we started looking at, you know, assisted living facilities because there's enough upside that you can easily take care of, you know, your team members. You can easily take care of, um, you know, people that are working for you in one deal. You can also scale a lot faster because you have the appropriate team members that are, you know, helping you scale that business. Everybody has specific tasks they're conducting and they're becoming experts into that. So you can scale a lot faster. Your deals are, don't require as much effort and time from you. And it's kind of like running on its own. So that, that was our main focus again. And what so how do you, how do you decide, <clears throat> like, do you look at that, um, like the self storage in Moncton first? Is that what you did? Or do you automatically start looking in the States? How do you, how does that progression happen? It was mostly from going to masterminds that we got that, that idea. We just love going to live events and masterminds and, and, and group meetups. So we, we have, we're part of a couple groups in Canada, a couple groups in, in the U.S., uh, seven-figure flipping being one of them in the U.S., and we learned a lot about different strategies and different asset types there. I think the idea kind of sparked from one of those events we, first. Yeah, essentially when we go to these events, um, you know, Lynn is always the youngest person there because she's, you know, even us, we have a, a, a six-year, seven-year difference. Uh, but, you know, we, we're always... Uh, trying to see okay what are other people doing you know whose lifestyle do we really want to um you know kind of duplicate and trying to aspire to and we find you know a lot of these um older more successful um investors you know who might be business owners at one point who might have owned you know a huge real estate portfolio what are they trying to do and from one of the events i went to um it was really eye-opening because um it was you know, these Americans who's owned multifamily buildings for the past couple of decades, they're looking to retire. They're looking to get out of it. They're looking to do something more passive, uh, easier for them to scale with, uh, you know, essentially less effort. And they were looking at self-storage. And, and well, granted, it was a self-storage event, but we felt like, you know, the personas there, the, the profiles that were there, they were likely, you know, the trajectory that we're going on, we felt like we're going to end up like being like them in about 20 or 30 years. And they're trying to get into self-storage. And to them, that's a better asset type. So for us, that's really spoke volume. And to answer your question, Rob, uh, right off the bat, you know, after coming back from that event, I just dove right into it. I was, you know, essentially I told my VA to find every single self-storage facility that we had available in the East Coast. I did a, a market analysis and I found out around 60% of them um, are owned by REITs, are owned by investment funds, or owned by a, a nationwide player. So that means those are not necessarily the properties you want to go after because those already run at a max efficiency. Uh, we want to go after the mom and pops. It's very similar to the multifamily space. You want to go after, you know, properties that you can add value on, that you can expand on. And I realized I, I did that. I sent out mailers to New Brunswick, but the properties here in, in the East Coast, at least, um, there's not as many mom and pop owners, but the ones that our mom and pop, the facilities are quite small. They're usually 10,000 net rentable square foot or less. So they're really not a whole lot of value that you can add onto it. It's sitting on, you know, just a little parcel of land. Um, so it's, it's really hard for you to scale. Another huge factor um, that kind of turned us off about the East Coast uh, when it comes to self-storage is the culture, right? So unlike Americans, I feel like a lot of Canadians, you know, they're a lot more rational when it comes to their purchasing decisions where, you know, they, they tend, Americans tend to be more, 
quarters, right? Uh, but Canadians, especially Eastern Canada, like they have a storage shed. They're sitting on, you know, plenty of land. They have a basement, they have attic. There's multiple different ways they can store their stuff, their personal items, uh, compared to places like Florida or Texas, where houses don't even have basements. They live in HOAs, they have, you know, four cars, they have five kids, and they're just in that capitalized, uh, capitalist mindset, right? They're spend, 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 um, but they don't want to get rid of any stuff. So um, there's a stat called uh, the National Equilibrium for Supply and Demand. So essentially in the States, that national average is around 7.8 square foot per capita. So basically meaning that, you know, every person on average, you need around 7.8 square foot of self-storage space. And that same number in the Canada, it's around 304. So that just tells me right away that demand is drastically different. I think pieces also the culture, the consumer cultures are different in Canada than in the U.S. Like it's in the U.S., you just got to acquire more things and keep your things forever. I feel like even if people end up relocating and, and, and need to downsize, they just they don't want to get rid of their stuff. They just put it in storage and kind of leave it there and forget about it. That was, that was, that was a big one, too. Okay, so you guys are in Vegas right now. What are you doing there? <laughs> so scambling our money away. <laughs> exactly, and it's gonna double our income here. <laughs> That's our new investment strategy. Um, no, we're 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 boots on the ground. That's that's what we like to be. We like to be the active partner and like to be focused. So that's mostly why we're, we're physically here. Martin is constantly hunting for land to develop self storage for current um, mom and pop run. Uh, storage facilities. I'm fully focused on looking into assisted living facilities. I'm I'm fully in the learning phase and trying to get as much information as possible from it. Um, and that's that's why we're here. We're also working towards getting our investor visa so we can stay here a little longer than six months. And and we're working through that. And to be honest, guys, like last year, um, most I feel like we spent so much money just like traveling to the states. Um, and, you know, flying out of Moncton, New Brunswick to Orlando, it, it really gets pricey, <laughs> like flying anywhere from Moncton, it, it, you know, it's a small airport. So we realized it actually just makes more sense for us to live down here for, you know, a couple months and really become boots on the ground. So said, so it's a lot easier for us to travel to deals, to travel to, to meet the sellers. And we also chose Vegas, you know, we got family here. Plus the flights are um, actually cheaper in and out of Vegas. And that's crazy. Yeah. So like a, a flight that's like an hour and a half or two hours. So Montreal, Moncton, for example, is about $560 if you want to go there. But here, if you're going to Phoenix, Arizona, which is about around the same um, flying time, you're paying 50 bucks. Yeah. Wow. I never paid 50 bucks for, for, for a flight ticket. I was just so surprised. I, I, I Sometimes I wonder how those companies make money. Or, or if just the companies in Canada just make so much more money, but it's it's ten times the price that we paid when we were in Canada. So it just made a lot of sense for us to come here. I think Vegas must the hotels must subsidize that somehow. Just get them get them here, and we'll we'll take they care do. of the money part, right? I think they actually do. Yeah. So, so you're so you're over there doing um you're doing self self storage and uh, assisted living facilities. You focus on that. How does your business back home or? home, I guess, run um, in the East Coast in Moncton and surrounding. You have, you mentioned you have a lot of, uh, you have a team of 16, you have VAs. I imagine you have a, quite a few virtual assistants. Is that a big part of your team or is that all of your team? Or do you have anyone uh, like boots on the ground with you in uh, in New Brunswick? That's, that's a great point, Sandy. So we do have boots on the ground uh, back home and, uh, you know, we're still doing deals and we still have a couple of renovation projects actually uh, going on. So our project managers, contractors, um, they're still, you know, fully in motion. However, you know, a huge reason, a reason for our pivot. Um, I kind of touched on that a bit earlier, but uh, what we realize is, you know, within the residential stuff, um, it's very market dependent. Um, so right now, you know, as soon as the market came to a full stop, Sandy, uh, you're based in Ontario. So um, it's always a couple months ahead, right? So what we started to see back in, you know, September, October, that's what Ontario was like back in March, April. So Every, you know, everyone was freaking out. It's really kind of come to a full stop. Um, we haven't seen, you know, the drastic price drop yet. I'll just say, you know, the growth has that definitely slowed down. Like there's not as many buyers on the market due to the interest rate. Um, everyone's pretty much scared off. And what we realized is like the space that we were operating in, the smaller multifamily, they were hugely impacted based on comparables. So if the comparables, you know, are, are driven down, um, the value that we created as wholesalers or as off-market people, they drastically diminished. Mm -hmm. And we felt like, you know, um, we didn't really want to stay in the space that was 
that dependent on comparables. We wanted to get into commercial real estate where you know you can control the NOI a lot better. You can force the appreciation by running the the property more efficiently, and that's a huge consideration of uh, you know why we wanted to kind of dive into that space. So as we speak, uh, we're actually you know repositioning our company. We're trying to uh, pivot you know that into more of a commercial property asset acquisition. Um, in the states, so everything back home, like we're we're still going on, but we're not trying to focus as much on the residential stuff back home anymore. It's also we chose the states for multiple different reasons. The big one being just Canada in general, with the way um, we're getting taxed, with the regulations that we have, with all the rules we have to follow. It's not necessarily the most entrepreneur friendly country, and we end up having to pay a big chunk of our profit in, in taxes. There's a lot of regulations, a lot of kind of um, roadblocks that we, we came across because we were there. And there's just a lot more opportunities in, in, in the U.S. I mean, it's 10 times bigger than Canada. There's 10 mm -hmm. times the population. So you have just 10 times right. the demand, 10 times the offer. So we're, we're, we were just more interested into going into the U.S. for that reason. Um, the returns that you see here are a lot it was definitely greater than what we would have in Canada. And you have a lot of tax benefits. You can roll your profit into the next investment without having to pay some taxes. You have a lot of um, tax benefits that, again, talk to your accountant, he will tell you more. But um, that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to pivot and look more into the U.S. Hmm. I like it. And, um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about big plans for the future. Yeah. I know you're talking about the assisted living. So that's into why don't, why don't you dig into that a little bit? So assisted living facilities, the interesting part we did. So we were looking for, we wanted a business-based um, assets to invest in because that's how you can get your investor visa. The investor visa quickly, it's an, called an E2 visa. You got to invest around $100,000 into the U.S., into a business that hires Americans. Um, and you need to be able to show uh, the immigration officer your investments, what you're investing in there, how you're planning to invest your money. And usually that's kind of how you get your E2 visa. So at first we're like, okay, what kind of business do we want to invest in? What Are we buying a franchise? Are we building it from scratch? Are we buying existing? Um, and we really like the assisted living because it's still real estate-based, but it's also a lot, you're offering a service as well and you're running a business on the side. So the interesting part with assisted living is there's, you. what's assisted living? Let's start with that. It's basically in a residential setting. If you're looking for residential assisted living facilities, um, you're offering assistance to elderly who are living into your home. And the kind of assistance you're offering is you don't have residential nurses. You're not offering medical services. It's just regular assistance with day-to-day -day items like hygiene, like eating, like medication, um, like giving out medication, like making sure, you know, they, they can move out of the bed and into the bed, you're doing activities, you're feeding them. So it's just general living. It's like a group home for elderly and you're just taking care of them and making sure, you know, they, they're having comfortable time and they're taken care of. The reason why there's such a strong demand for it is that most of these people who need that kind of assistance aren't necessarily able to get it at home. A lot of their kids, when they move back with their kids, when they move back with their family, they usually have full-time jobs, they have their kids with them, so they're not necessarily just there full-time able to provide the care that they can to their uh, to their parents, their grandparents. So the assisted living facilities are there to kind of help those families um, and take care of the elderly. Okay, very good. Have you, have you done any... Um... Has there been any adverse effect to that uh, industry from COVID? Definitely. Um, but we see that kind of like going back now. So when you're providing care, when you were talking about people's health, there's definitely a lot of regulations. There's definitely a lot of, of rules that you have to follow. Um, and during COVID, a lot of this facility was completely shut down. So basically, you can mm. still operate with the residents that you have, but you can't do any new tours. You can't get people in and out of your facility anymore. You can't do visits. So you can't let people in and out. That definitely greatly impacted the industry. I feel like a lot of people decided to take their parents out of there just so they can they can see them because you, you wouldn't able to get inside the home to see your parents at all. Uh, but there's also a lot of people that weren't able to get their parents into a facility because you can't do any more visits. You can't your occupancy is definitely a lot lower just because you can't fill up your rooms, you can't fill up your home anymore. So that's definitely greatly impacted. But what we're seeing now is that a lot of the people who had their parents or a lot of the elders that were living in bigger facilities, so we're talking 200 rooms, 300 room facilities, those are pretty big ones, are staring away from it 
just because of that whole trauma about COVID, it's a lot harder to put in safety measures when you have 200 residents in a home than if you have eight, 16 or 20. So they're going away from those 200, 300 facilities and getting into residential assisted living facilities. They're a lot smaller, smaller community, a lot closer to their caregivers, a lot closer to the other residents. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we're seeing happening right now. The interesting part about this industry in general is that the baby boomers, which is around 21% of the population, is currently getting toward that age where they need to get into assisted living. And it's only going to increase. And we we call it the silver tsunami. Um, It's basically there's going to be a huge influx of elderly that are going into the market that are going to need assisted living. Um, And that's also the main part how we see the industry growing is because of that influx in in demand that's going to come. There's, I think, they're projecting 986,000 units that needs to be built, that needs to be available uh, within the next 10 to 20 years. But, but okay. that's definitely a valid question because when we're touring the, the properties, that's the question we had. Right? We asked them, yeah. What happened during COVID? COVID? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Obviously, we, yeah. Yeah. And we do find the smaller facilities, and that's what Lynn touched on too. It that's- makes sense because it's more adaptable, right? Like it's not just the rules are the rules and here are the rules. It's like when you're when you're it's it's more on a smaller individualized, how do we operate? kind yeah, of uh, exactly. scale. So no, that's good. Um, we wish you the best of luck, you guys, and appreciate you coming on and sharing everything today. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Um, multiple ways. So we can, you can reach us on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Lynn Sairi. Uh, you guys probably will have it spelled out somewhere. I don't expect mm-hmm. everyone to know how to spell my last name. Martin's Instagram is Martin May. Um, it, it's Martin May. And so it's actually really funny. I was testing it out. If you Google, if you put on Instagram, like self-storage, Martin, um, my profile will show up. So it's perfect. <laughs> <And I> was, <laughs> okay. That's how I want it. Yeah. Cool. Great. And, and, like, uh, and like Lynn said, yes, all the information will be in the show notes. So I have the correct spelling, the correct uh, emails and everything for you guys. And, um, and you can get in touch and learn more. So uh, very interesting. And I'm sure you get bombarded with um, wholesaling questions constantly. So just everyone, before you before you reach out to them and ask them every question in the book, do a little bit of research on it. Like they said, there's lots of podcasts and other things where you can get information uh, totally for free. And then, uh, of course, you know, you've got some really, really specified um, problems that you're having. Maybe reach out to them. Um, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, same ways as always. Uh, social media is easy as well for me. Uh, you can go find me pretty easily on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or uh, Sandy at freedomreps.com. Awesome. And everyone can reach me at Rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next time. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.